0: Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. The Christmas celebrations are just getting started. Not that you need a reminder, but don't forget, there's an eight-day octave, okay? That means that literally every day from December 25th through like January 2nd or 3rd is Christmas Day. It's an eight-day celebration. Then there's the 12 days of Christmas leading up to Epiphany. Then there's the Christmas season itself, which technically ends baptism of our Lord. Some people throw it out to the presentation in February, Okay. I'm saying that because there's just a lot of reason to celebrate. There's a lot of reason to celebrate. And one such reason is coming on to the podcast here in just a moment. This is an old interview with Kevin Hyder. we had only known each other for a few years, but we had already traveled the country together. We had crisscrossed the nation on Love Good Music summer tours. Again, this is back in the day where we were called Love Good Music. And of course, we're doing a lot more than just music these days. But these were really, really precious moments. These were incredible times laying the foundation for what has become now a global movement. And Kevin is one of those people that is very much in the root system of love good. So I cannot wait for you to enjoy this conversation in just a moment. I'll be back with an old 2014 interview with Kevin Hyder. I'll
1: probably get some good ideas about what to do.
0: Here we are, Jimmy Mitchell here with Kevin Hyder in Love Good Music Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. Man, it's been four years, I suppose, of friendship now. Yeah. And with that, friendship came pretty immediate collaboration i think there's an excuse to just be together that i sometimes look for in uh having you in nashville to do certain events or work on projects but tell me about what you've been doing the last four days because it's been pretty unique as far as our collaboration is concerned and also a pretty cool thing that we're doing um for only the second time ever specifically for patrons of love good music
1: sure so you know the last four days we've been hauled up in various studios uh when i say we i mean Chris Cole, Alana marie Boudreaux, uh, the three of us, and we're each recording four new songs. So these are songs that we've, some of them might be old, some of them are new, some of them are, are cover songs, um, but we're really just, we came together and we're trying, we wanted to record kind of two fully produced songs a piece, and then two, you know, a little bit more acoustic tracks. Uh, each something just to have some fresh content that we could give to the to the love good music community that's awesome so yeah.
0: where well, this whole thing gets started for you kevin obviously i've heard this story but some of our patrons maybe haven't even heard you lie before we've actually not had the privilege of releasing one of your projects yet direct to our patrons so tell us a little bit of your backstory your upbringing yeah music but also just personal um What brought you to this point in your life of now being married and you had a kid on the way and you've got this really, I think, amazing music career both behind you and in front of you. And in the midst of that, all kinds of other talents to offer. Um, But where did it all begin for you? Well, thank thank you very much. Um, They're all very different
1: pursuits with very different, very long stories. So to spare the majority of the details, I think I first got interested in playing music when um, my eighth grade music teacher, Mrs. Schneider, had us play the guitar for about two weeks in class. and I asked for a guitar for Christmas that year, and Santa Claus came through, and I got one and I played it for about two weeks and then didn't touch it again for about two years. Wow. And then I slowly started um, you know, learning learning how to play. I, I just started figuring things out what sounded good, what didn't. And so because I'm self-taught, you know, for me, creating sounds, um, figuring out notes, writing songs kind of came hand-in-hand with learning how to play. I was always kind of playing original stuff before other people's um, as just... You know that was just kind of my process of of exploration with with the instrument. Same, it's the same with the with the piano for me in that regard. But that was it. I mean, once I once I just learned some chords and started figuring things out, I just kind of ran with it. And um, the wife the wife issue is is a whole nother a whole
0: another subject. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that in a minute. When yeah. did you start writing? Because obviously. You were writing long before yeah. you were married. Tell me about that.
1: Um, I, I would. I think the first song that I wrote, I was probably sixteen or seventeen. So as a junior in high school, it's not good, uh, but it, it exists. Do you remember so. it? Could you play it right now? I don't. I do not remember it. Oh, come. Um, on. I do. I do have uh, my very first album that I ever recorded on a desktop microphone, just singing and playing into it. It's about twelve tracks. Three piano a few acoustic guitars it does not sound like me uh, i sound like i i have a cold uh, in pretty much all of the songs and i think i was still trying to figure out how to how to sing how to pull it from from further down and not sound so nasally all the
0: time well, one of the things that i've really enjoyed is even with the projects you have released and made available on itunes there's been a, a definite progression and, and development of of your sound and who you are as an artist I'm thinking even just the difference between Salzburg Revolution and and The Spark, Um, but even all the more so. Just the piano and uh, voice record, what's that one called? Yeah, To Whom It May Concern. Yeah, so each of these, there's been such a... And I I just moments ago heard the songs you were working on this week for the first time, and there's something completely classically Kevin Heider about them, and yet something so fresh and so new. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's exciting. How, How would you say, from your perspective that development has been what is it you know what's the process of yeah, uh, you know well, developing those crafts and the sound and the the heart behind what you do well
1: part of that has to do with time and money um because with that first album i i didn't have any money and so it was just you know we could we could we're able to use this piano in this really nice um very it, it, it was a we did it in in a church sanctuary and so the space acoustically was just perfect for picking up the piano and so really recorded the whole thing in a total of about nine hours um and, and you know my dad asked me at one point why did you why was that the first thing you released just a, an album with 12 songs on it that are all very slow kind of uh piano and vocals and i said well i, I that was all I really had the money for. You know, I, I would just, I didn't know where to go. I, I hadn't really thought at that point of doing music as a career, doing it full-time, of really pursuing it. I just had some songs that I wanted to record and found a guy that was, you know, interested in doing it, so so we did it. Um, so I think with each project, uh, finding the funds, um, making the time, and also, you know, as I've, as I've developed... Um, the craft, I guess, when I write songs now, I hear other parts in them, so i'll hear trumpet parts or I'll hear you know um I'll hear electric guitar solos that I myself am not capable of playing, so I know that when I get into the studio, I can find someone who play it and I can sing it for them and and um and it comes out, and it sounds really cool, and so I'm at this point now where when I write songs. I write a lot of the parts that I want to be on the record in my head, and then getting into the studio and having the time and the money is just a matter of of um you know being able to kind of explain that to to musicians who are much better than I am to help me bring them to life.
0: It's really so. cool. I've caught glimpses of it this week, and I think the final product is going to be something that everybody's excited about, and I'm sure you'll you'll be very proud of so stepping away from the artistic and, and professional side of things, how about Personally, you know, I've met, yeah. I think I met your sister, at least on the phone, your mom, maybe in person once. You've got a, an amazing family from every story I've ever heard. And now you're, you know, at the beginning of starting your own family. Tell me yeah. about you and what all that has looked like through the years. And uh, obviously we all come from different places and, you know, life unfolds in all kinds of beautiful and unpredictable ways. But if you had to sum it up. Um, I think the older
1: I get the more grateful I am, you know, to have had the upbringing that I had. Um, We always had a roof over our heads. We always had food on the table. But more than anything, my parents were just interested and invested in us, and they wanted to know what was going on at school, what was going on in our lives. Um, You know, I have friends that when it comes to music or sports, their parents— They they make them do all this stuff. They make them take piano lessons when they're four. And then it gets to the point where they hate playing the piano because they've been doing it for so long. My parents, they never really made me do any of that. Like, I I wanted a guitar. They got me a guitar. They didn't make me take lessons. Um, They said, if you want to, you know, we'll sign you up for them. If not, just, you know, do your own thing. I I think they wanted us to to really want to do whatever it was that we were doing. Um... So that, that is something that I'm really grateful for. I kind of feel like, you know, when, we have, when my wife and I have more kids and they're kind of running about everywhere, I would love to have a basement that just has, you know, all the, the, a bunch of different types of instruments, whatever I can afford, just kind of lying around just so that the kids can go down there and play with them. And if they like one and they want to learn it, they'll be able to do that.
0: That's something that I think I would really like to do. That's really for cool. For kids, and, you know, but... connected to that is the following question. How have you struck the balance or how do you struggle to sometimes strike the balance between personal and professional, you know, vocation and career? I mean, even Ch- John Paul the Great talks about how the artist, in a certain sense, has a vocation, you know, as a servant of beauty. Um, but obviously now you're you're a husband and you're a father, you know, what is, sure. what is all that like? Uh, I, I stand in awe of people who can, you know, make it all work. Um, what's it been like for you? Um, It has its
1: ups and downs, like everything. Um, You know, there are times when I really don't want to be away. Um, There are times when, you know, I'll leave for a few days and by the time it gets to the fourth or fifth day, it's like, all right, I want to get home now. You know, when, when I was single and doing this by myself, I was okay being gone for, you know, as long as I could be. I really enjoyed the adventure of that. Now, I feel like I have a home. I feel like I have a person with whom I've made a home. And the reunion, you know, no matter how long I'm gone, the reunion, uh, the coming home is always, you know, uh, really good. It's, it's really sweet. It's so, awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about these four songs you've been working on. There's a couple that we won't get into too much depth about, but they're a little more narrative uh, explain exactly what that means. um, And then uh, we'll get more into the the details, the nitty gritty of these other songs. Sure. I've come to a point where, I guess for years,
1: I've written a lot of different songs about a lot of different things. Many of them, I sing in the first person, they're about myself or experiences that I've gone through, people that I've met, reflections that I've had. Uh, But I think as I've as I've traveled and gotten to see more of the world and meet more people, um, and just kind of my own little web just kind of keeps expanding, I think what I've found is this this entire other landscape where um, you know I'm able to kind of pull from these experiences and just create stories that are only personal in the sense that they come from me, that they come from my reflections, and for whatever reason I'm inclined to write about them. But really, I get to create characters in songs and sometimes i can i can sing as the narrator in the third person and just tell you what these characters are doing other times i get i do get to sing from the perspective of a character so it'll sound like it's in the first person the song will be in the first person but it's not about me you know i'm i'm, I'm attempting to kind of sing someone else's story whether that person is you know real or imaginary it's a very exciting way i think to to be able to explore humanity and life and love and truth and the pursuit of all of those things um, in a in a context that transcends me,
0: I guess. And that's really what Down by the Sycamore Tree and The Man Who Refused to Dance <laughs> yeah. are all about. I think it's really cool. I'm sure it's a real test in your own ability to, to empathize, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I I mean... As I said, there's always a little bit of me in them. You know, right. I'm not necessarily the character, but in The Man Who Refused to Dance, I don't really like to dance. <laughs> I, I, I go to weddings, and I love sitting there watching people dance. And I kind of started thinking, you know, ideally, I'd like to find a girl who doesn't like to dance. <laughs> and we'll get married and everything will be great. And we'll go to weddings together and I'll never have to dance. And so I just kind of wrote this quirky song about a guy who sees a girl and says, I'm not going to ask you to dance, but I'd love to take you to dinner. You know? And then awesome. he proposes to her and you know, says, I'll dance with you once at the wedding. And that's it, you know, please say yes. That's great. <laughs> that's kind of his plea. So it's a quirky song that when I ro- I wrote it a few years ago and whenever I would play it live, I would say, this isn't about me, but I think in some respects it's, you know, futuristically autobiographical kind of <laughs> That's how I, would,
0: how I would preface it. Well, I can't wait to hear it all the way through myself. Tell me a little bit more about these, I'll say more, more personal songs, yeah. uh, songs that you really wrote from your own voice and your own perspective. Uh, let's begin with the happy song about death for those I'll leave behind. Tell us more yeah. about this song. So
1: to kind of, to kind of tell you where it came from, I, I I guess a part of that would be to give you a little bit of an insight into my own songwriting process. So oftentimes, whether I have an instrument on me or not, I'll be walking around somewhere and I might just hear a line or a melody in my head and I'll just start singing it and I'll just start mumbling, you know, nonsense, but to a new melody. And I'll think, I really like that. I'll pull out my phone, I'll record it and I'll say, I'm going to turn that into something. And I did that. I, I had this line, um, you know, "I was born in the land of the free," and that was it. And I thought, yeah, that that could be like a really fun kind of folksy, boot Americana song. And I didn't do anything with it for like a year. You know, I would I would come back to it every once in a while and see what I could do, but nothing nothing was happening. And within the last year, um, just you know, within kind of the alumni circle that my wife and I are are involved in from our university and just our, our growing web of, you know, young adult friends in our community, we've seen a lot of, um, we've seen a lot of young parents pass away, Mm. um, young spouses, um, some of them had several kids, some had kids on the way, and these weren't necessarily people that we knew really well. Um, in all the cases, um, but we have connections. We know their siblings well, or we have a lot of mutual friends, and so it was something where, like, all this really heavy stuff had happened. But you know, you go online, you you go onto these these forums, Facebook, where where we're able to kind of connect with each other, uh, you know, with people that we can't connect with on a daily basis, and people are posting photographs um, from. The funeral, or from the burials, or or from memorial celebrations that they're having for these young parents, these young mothers and fathers, and the look of joy on the people's faces as they kind of mm-hmm. stand around and just remember and celebrate this person's life. I think, you know, this the events. This type of thing, the amount of times that it seemed to happen to people we were acquainted with throughout this last year, from a subconscious perspective, I just started thinking, you know, I need to, I, I need to find a joy in this. You know, I, I wanted to write a happy song about death. I don't know if one really existed yet or not, but I, I wanted to do it. I felt compelled to do it, and I, I started working on it when my wife was out of the apartment, and. She came home and asked what I was doing, and I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a happy song. It might sound strange, but I'm, I'm kind of writing a happy song about death right now. And she said, oh, okay. Well, can I hear it? And I played her part of it, and she said, I really like that. She said, I, I think, I think I could really use a song like that. And I think I was kind of midway through it at that point, but when she said that, you know knowing that this happy song about death was something that was going to affect my wife in a positive way that it might help her you know not to have as much anxiety or fear about losing me or you know a loved one in general i kind of was able to use that in the song and so one of the one of the lyrics one of the lines became And at that hour when death doth come, when death for me doth come, I'll be thinking of all I've ever loved. As sure as the sky is blue, my darling wife, I'll think of you. You're my home. You're that place where I am from. And so the chorus throughout the song is, I will go, I will go. I will bleed my heart, I will go, I will go, I will leave my mark, kind of this type of thing. But when I sang that verse about my wife, it it ended with, you must, you must go, you must go, you must fight the dark. And so, it kind of became this thing where I was able to write the song for my wife. Like, death, it it is a tragedy in many respects, but with what we believe, um, it it can be just a celebration of joy and an adventure in and of itself. So that's the long answer. Have fun cutting that down.
0: Mm, it's beautiful. It's amazing, <laughs> really, to be able to see the good and the, the joy that does come out of suffering. In fact, if you look at it properly, death is the gateway You know, to perfect sure. joy. It's the only way there. So, uh, Kristen, obviously, uh, yeah. your wife now of yeah. almost two years— two years he, in August about a year and a half now yeah and um does she hear most of your songs before anybody else these days yeah these days I
1: I used to have a buddy <laughs> who I any anything I'd write I'd record a rough demo of it and send it to him but he's uh he's in the seminary now so it's often harder to get a hold of him so my wife is kind of the go-to well, I'll usually get her feedback and opinion first and she can tell me what she likes or doesn't like and you know maybe maybe I'll I'll listen and
0: and and this this last song this last song that we're going to talk about permanent valentine I can only assume was written with her in mind yeah yeah tell us about it
1: well she she, it was a long pursuit kind of getting her to agree to to date me and then (laughs) um and then to stay with me once we were dating and but when it came to the point where you know we knew that we were going to get engaged and then get married and it was kind of just a matter of time and going through the the steps and the process um a big struggle for us. She was living in Virginia. I was living in Baltimore. We didn't know where we were going to live. If if I was going to move back to Virginia, or if she would move up to Baltimore and look for work there, or if we were just going to go somewhere totally new. It was just such a, a struggle, and and I kind of felt like I kind of felt like not knowing the answer to that was in some ways delaying the engagement phase for us. Almost like we we didn't really want it move forward unless we knew where we were going to be moving forward to if that makes sense but so in any case I just I wrote this song one night and I think the original working title was where are we going to live (laughs) you know and that's what it's about it's it's about you know I do a lot of traveling I know you don't like it when I'm gone well I don't like writing these lonely songs and, and that type of sentiment and just trying to say like look just come with me wherever it is it doesn't matter um you know I One of the lyrics is, I don't know where we'll end up, but I know we'll end up together. And that's kind of the whole thing is is it really doesn't matter where we live. Um, or where where we are, as long as we're together, is awesome. really
0: the sentiment. So it's awesome. Well, I hope yeah. you end up in Nashville. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> of course, we'll that's see. always my hope for anybody and everybody. But uh, Na- Dayton, Ohio is not so far. We can live with that. It's not. It's not nearly as far as Baltimore. Yeah. Is, so well, speaking of geography, we have patrons thirty five states, five countries. We just had our first patron in Japan wow. the other day. Awesome. Kind of random. If you're listening, we're very grateful to you. Uh, but. If you could close out this interview, Kevin, with a few words um, about your experience with Love Good Music, of being a part of this growing community of artists and patrons, what would you say?
1: Um, It's been been an absolute pleasure for me, Jimmy, first of all, to get to know you. Um, We met through a mutual friend that I happened to bump into when I was in Denver a few years ago, and ever since then, he put us in touch, and we've just been doing several projects together a year, and I'm incredibly blessed. Uh, I consider myself blessed and just feel so grateful for your friendship and and your support. And I've met so many incredible songwriters, um, such as Chris Cole and and um, and uh, Maria Price and your sister Haley, uh, throughout uh, all of the, the things that we've done together. And something that I've really found um, is that you know, and this is from my own experience, but also talking with these other songwriters, is that we want to um, we want to share our music um, with other people, and it's difficult, kind of, for us sometimes not having a big conglomerate or marketing firm behind us, kind of pushing our stuff and really getting it out there. Ours, very much um, for each of us, is an independent grassroots effort. And so something like Love Good Music coming along and really wanting to, you know, not just get good music out there, because there is a lot of good music already out there, but the whole point of it is to get good music that you probably have never heard before from artists whom you probably have never heard before. um, Stuff that it would be really difficult for you to find on your own or to hear otherwise. So the fact, the mere fact that something like that exists... Um, is very humbling, and I'm so grateful for it, and the fact that it exists because of somebody like you, somebody who already appreciated our art, our art and our efforts and our work, um, just you know means even more to us uh, the mm-hmm. fact that you you love in, including us in in the lives of your many beautiful brain children. So,
0: yeah. well, I'll tell you, if I'd won the lottery, I probably would have never. Started traveling the country and asking people to become patrons, you know, and I think that's part of the joy for me is inviting people into this, um, which is really, uh, it's just a tremendous blessing to get yeah. to see these songs come to life and to journey with you guys as artists along the way. That's all we have time for today, Kevin, but I'm sure this is, uh, well, the third or fourth or fifth of many to come. This is not our, our first or our last collaboration, so uh, I'm excited to see what the future holds.
1: I'd like to interject. This closeout here, and just say, as a friend, I'm incredibly grateful that you never won the lottery. Me too. Okay. Probably better for us
0: all. Yeah, yeah. All right, Kevin. Until next time. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. Kevin Heider, everybody. I mean, it's really hard to believe that not only before Love Good existed, even before Love Good music existed, Kevin Hyder existed and our friendship existed, and we were doing all these pro-life music festivals together. We were really just becoming fast friends because of our love for music, our love for beauty, our love for culture, and Kevin is one of those people I'll I'll forever look to as uh, an inspiration as a impetus really for Love Goods existence in the first place. I looked at people like Kevin and Colleen Nixon and Chris Cole, and I thought these artists, they need each other. They need community. They need patrons. They need funding and support. And for a long time, we would just do these Kickstarter campaigns after Kickstarter campaigns. And I thought there's got to be a better way. And that's really where Love Good took off. So the first time that we ever got these artists together was an event I wanna say in 2011, called Love Come Alive. We we might've done it in 2010. I'm pretty sure 2011 was the first year and it was in partnership with the 40 Days for Life. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about that in a moment because we have a very exciting announcement about a live stream concert that you can only get your hands on as a Love Good patron. But before we do that, I wanna go and highlight one of our patrons. Her name is Teresa. She's from Wellington, New Zealand. And she's amazing, her story's amazing, and her reason for being a patron is amazing. Check this out.
2: One of my favorite things about being a part of Lovegood is that I feel like I'm not alone in loving what is good. There's so much pressure to fit into society, to watch what everyone binges, to be super active on social media, to be listening to the latest hits. So much pressure that I almost feel like a freak for not fitting in with those norms for actually trying to surround myself with good books, media, art, and music. But I shouldn't feel ashamed of that. Being a part of Love Good helps me know I am not alone. I'm not weird for wanting something different. And it also encourages me to hopefully bring beauty into the lives of those around me. As a youth minister at a Catholic college, it saddens me sometimes to see just how blind we've become to beauty. Seeing our students sitting around on their phones every break time, hardly socializing or going outside. I mean, I can't comment much as I do the same myself sometimes, but I hope that through my witness and the way I live my life, they can see something different about me and want what I have. I hope to help build a better culture, which is exactly what Lovegood stands for and continues to inspire me to do.
0: I mean, if that's not what Lovegood is all about, I, I I don't know what is, right? Teresa, thank you so much for that reminder that we are all in this together, this building of better culture, this becoming more and more who we are as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such an inspiration and such a wonderful, I would say, challenge for us all to to never let up in this cultivating of what it really means to be human. So we're really excited to let you know, as I mentioned or hinted at just a few moments ago, we have a really, really big live stream coming next week. Okay, so it's been about 10 years that Love Good under various different brands. Basically, it's been about 10 years since I've been hosting live music here in Nashville. And obviously, long before COVID hit, we were doing live stream concerts with many of our favorite singer-songwriters, often in my own home here in Nashville. And next week, I not only have Colm Kerwin on the podcast as another one of our beautiful you know, throwback episodes from 2014. I've also got Colm and his new wife Katrina coming into the studio to be part of a live stream concert that Marisol Alisaya will be hosting that will involve a meet and greet for our patrons and for our patrons only after the fact. So the first thing you got to do is make sure that you're signed up for this live stream so that you do not miss it when it hits again on Thursday, January 7th, so about a week from now. Okay, this is happening on a Thursday, like so many of our live stream events. Thursday night, go to lovegoodlive.com and get signed up for it. And then if you're not yet a patron, go to the very bottom of that page and become a patron so that you can also be a part of the meet and greet with Colm and Katrina afterwards. You guys are amazing. Have a great week. And again, I'll be back next Tuesday as I always am every Tuesday with a new episode, sitting down with Colm Kerwin, this 2014 conversation that is now culminating very beautifully a couple of days after that with our live stream concert with Colm and his wife, Katrina. You guys are awesome. Have a great week. We'll see you around. Peace. Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long-form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.